Chapter Seven of Catherine Lauderdale, Volume One by Francis Marion Crawford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Seven. John Ralston had given his word to Catherine, and he intended to keep it. Whenever he was assailed by doubts, he recalled by an act of will the state of mind to which the young girl had brought him on Monday evening, and how he had been convinced that there was no harm in the secret marriage. He analysed his position, too, in a rough and ready way, with the intention of proving that the clandestine ceremony could not be of any advantage to himself, that it was therefore not from any selfish motive that he had undertaken to have it performed, and that, consequently, since the action itself was to be an unselfish one, there could be nothing even faintly dishonourable in it. For he did not really believe that old Robert Lauderdale would do anything for him. On the contrary, he thought it most likely that the old man would be very angry, and would bid the young people abide by the consequences of their doing. He would blame Ralston bitterly. He would not believe that he had been disinterested. He would say that he had married Catherine, and had persuaded her to the marriage in the hope of forcing his uncle to help him, out of consideration for the girl, and he would refuse to do anything whatsoever. He might even go so far as to strike the names of both from his will, if he had left them a legacy, which was probable. But to do Ralston justice, so long as he was sure of his own motives, he had never cared a straw for the opinions others might form of them and he was the last man in the world to assume a character for the sake of playing on the feelings of a rich relation. If Robert Lauderdale should send for him and be angry and reproach him with what he had done, John was quite capable of answering that he had acted from motives which concerned himself only, that he was answerable to no one but Catherine herself, and that Uncle Robert might make the best of it at his leisure. The young man possessed that sort of courage in abundance, as every one knew, and being aware of it himself, he suspected, not without grounds of probability, that the millionaire was aware of it also, and would simply leave him alone to his own devices, refusing Catherine's request and never mentioning the question again. That the old man would be discreet was certain. With a few rare exceptions, men who have made great fortunes unaided have more discretion than other people, and can keep secrets remarkably well. The difficulty which presented itself to Ralston at once was a material one. He did not in the least know how such an affair as a secret marriage should be managed. None of his close acquaintances had ever done anything so unusual, and although he knew of two cases which had occurred in New York society, the one in recent years, and the other long ago, he had no means of finding out at short notice how the actual formalities necessary had been fulfilled in either case. He knew, however, that a marriage performed by a respectable clergyman of any denomination was legal, and that a certificate signed by him was perfectly valid. He had heard of marriages before a justice of the peace, and even of declarations made before respectable witnesses and vouched for, which had been legal marriages beyond dispute, but he did not like the look of anything in which there was no religious ceremony, respectfully indifferent though he was to all religion. The code of honour, which was his only faith, is connected, and not even very distantly, with Christianity. There are honourable men of all religions under the sun, including that of Confucius, but we do not associate the expression, the code of honour, with non-Christians, which is singular enough, considering the view that said code takes, 
on some moral questions there must be a marriage service therefore thought ralston and it must be performed in new york there was no possibility of taking Catherine into a neighboring state and he had no wish to do so for many reasons he was not without foresight and he intended to be able to prove at any future time that the formality the whole formality and nothing but the formality of the ceremony had been fulfilled it was not easy he racked his recollections in vain and he read all the newspapers published that morning with an interest he had certainly never felt in them before in the hope of finding some account of a case similar to his own he thought of going to a number of clergymen of the social type with whom he had a speaking acquaintance and of laying the facts before each in turn until one of them consented to marry him but though many of them were excellent men he had not enough confidence in their discretion he laughed to himself when he thought that the only men he knew who seemed to possess the necessary qualities for such a delicate affair were robert the rich himself and hamilton bright whom ralston secretly suspected of being somewhat in love with katherine on his own account it was odd he thought that of all the family bright alone should resemble old robert physically and mentally but the resemblance was undeniable though the relationship only consisted in the fact that bright was descended from old robert lauderdale's grandfather the primeval alexander often mentioned in these pages Ralston turned the case over and over in his mind He thought of going to some dissenting minister quite unknown to him and trying what eloquence could do He had heard that some of them were men of heart to whom one could appeal in trouble But he knew very well that every one of them would tell him to do the thing openly or not at all and the mere idea revived his own scruples he wondered whether there were not churches where the marrying was done by batches of four or five couples on a certain Sunday in the month as babies are baptized in some parts of the world and whether he and Catherine could not slip in as it were by mistake and be married by a man who did not even know their names but he laughed at the idea a moment later and went on studying the problem another of his ideas was to consult a detective from a private office such men would in all likelihood know a good deal about runaway couples and this seemed one of the wisest plans which had suggested itself though it broke down for two reasons he hated the thought of getting at his result by the help of a man belonging to what he considered a mean and underhand profession and he reflected that such men were always on the lookout for private scandals and that he should be putting himself in their power at last he decided to consult a lawyer Lawyers and doctors as a rule were discreet he thought because their success depended on their discretion He could easily find a man whom he had never seen honest and able to keep a secret Who would give him the information he wanted in a professional way and take a fee for the trouble? This seemed to him honorable and wise He wished everything to be legal and the best way to make it so was to follow a lawyer's directions there was not even a doubt but that the said lawyer if requested would make a memorandum of the case and Take charge of the document which was to prove that Catherine Lauderdale had become the lawful wife of John Ralston There were lists and directories in which he could find the names of hundreds of such men He was in his native city and between the names and the places of business He thought he could form a tolerably accurate opinion of the reputation and standing of some if not of all of the individuals in the course of a couple of hours he had found what he wanted 
a lawyer whose name was known to him as that of a man of good reputation and a gentleman one whom he had never seen and who had probably never seen him old enough as he knew to have a wide experience yet not so old as to be justified in assuming airs of vast moral superiority in order to declare primly that he would never help a young man to commit an act of folly for folly it was as ralston knew very well in his heart he lost no time and within half an hour was interviewing the authority he had selected for by a bit of good luck he was fortunate enough to meet the lawyer at the door of his office just returning from luncheon otherwise he might have had some difficulty in gaining immediate admittance he found him to be a grave keen personage of uncertain age who laid his glasses beside him on his desk whenever he spoke and put them on again as soon as he had done he wiped them carefully when ralston had explained what he wanted and then paused a moment before replying ralston was by no means prepared for what he said i presume you are a novelist the lawyer looked at him smiled pleasantly looked away and turned his glasses over again the young man was inclined to laugh no one had ever taken him for a man of letters he hesitated however before he answered wondering whether he had not better accept the statement in the hope of getting accurate information rather than risk a refusal if he said he was in earnest the lawyer took his hesitation for assent because in that case it would not be at all difficult to manage he continued without waiting any longer for a reply lots of things can happen in books you see and you can wind up the story and publish it before the people in the book who are to be kept in the dark have found out the secret in real life it is a little different because though it's very easy to be married it's the duty of the person who marries you to send a certificate or statement of the marriage to the office where the record of statistics is kept oh ejaculated ralston and his face fell i didn't know that yes that's necessary on pain of a fine and yet the marriage may remain a secret a long while for a lifetime under favorable circumstances so that if you are writing a story you can let the young couple take the chances and you can have them in their favor well how exactly asked john that sort of thing isn't usual i fancy not usual no the lawyer smiled but there are more secret marriages than most people dream of if your hero and heroine must be married in new york it is easy enough to do it nobody will marry them without afterwards making out the certificate which is recorded if anybody suspects that they are married it is the easiest thing in the world to find out that the marriage has been registered but if nobody looks for it the thing will never be heard of it's a thousand to one against anybody's finding it out by accident but if it were done in that way it would be absolutely legal and could never be contested of course perfectly legal but it's not so in all states mind you i wanted to know about new york said ralston it couldn't possibly take place anywhere else oh well in that case you know all there is to be known i'm very grateful said john rising i've taken up a great deal of your valuable time sir may i in considerable doubt as to what he should do he thrust his hand into his breast pocket and looked at the lawyer my dear sir exclaimed the latter rising also how can you think of such a thing i'm very glad indeed to have been a service to a young novelist you're exceedingly kind and i thank you very much said ralston shaking the outstretched hand 
and making for the door as soon as possible He had not even given his name which had been rather rude on his part as he was well aware At all events the lawyer would not be able to trace him which was a point to his advantage Oddly enough he felt a sense of satisfaction when he thought over what he had learned He could tell Catherine that a really secret marriage was wholly impossible and perhaps when she knew that she was running a risk of discovery she would draw back he should be glad of that realizing the fact he was conscious for the first time that he was seeking a way out of the marriage and not a way into it and a conflict arose in his mind on the one hand he had given Catherine his word that he would do what she asked and his word was sacred unless she would release him from the promise on the other side stood that intimate conviction of his own that in spite of all her arguments it was not a perfectly honorable thing to do on its own merits he could not help feeling glad that a material difficulty stood in the way of his doing what she required of him in any case he must see her as soon as possible he ascertained without difficulty that they need not show evidence that they had resided in new york during any particular period nor were there any other formalities to be fulfilled he went home to luncheon with his mother it was on the day after he had given his promise to Catherine for he had lost no time and he went out again before three o'clock hoping to find the young girl alone to his annoyance he found her with her mother in the library mrs. Lauderdale was generally at work at that hour if she was at home but today she who was always well had a headache and was nervous and altogether different from herself Catherine saw that she was almost ill and insisted upon staying at home with her to read to her or to talk to her as she preferred Though mrs. Lauderdale begged her repeatedly to go away and make visits or otherwise amuse herself as she could But the young girl was obstinate she saw that her mother was suffering and she had no intention of leaving her that afternoon Alexander jr. Was of course at his office and the philanthropist was in his own quarters upstairs probably dozing before the open fire or writing reports about idiots It was clear to Ralston in five minutes that mrs. Lauderdale was not only indisposed But that she was altogether out of temper a state of mind very unusual with her She found fault with little things that Catherine did in a way John had never noticed before and as for himself She evidently wished he had not come there was a petulance about her which was quite new she was not even sitting in her usual place but had taken the deep armchair on the other side of the fireplace and turned her back to the light you seem to be as busy as usual jack she observed after exchanging a few words i'm wishing i were at all events he answered you must take the wish for the deed they say that there's always plenty of work for anyone who wants it answered mrs lauderdale coldly if you'll tell me where to find it why don't you go to the west as young bright did and try to do something without help other men do bright took money with him answered ralston did he not much then i fancy i know he lived a hard life and drove cattle and bought land in wild places which he found in the course of his cattle driving the driving was a means of getting about not unpleasant either and he had some money to invest i could do the same if i had any you know it's quite useless mother said Catherine Interposing before mrs. Lauderdale could make another retort you all abuse him for doing nothing And yet I hear you all say that every profession is overcrowded and that nobody can do anything without capital 
If Uncle Robert chose, he could make Jack's fortune by a turn of his hand. Of course, he could give him a fortune outright, and not feel it, unless he cared what became of it. There was something so harsh about the way in which she spoke the last words, that Ralston and Catherine looked at each other. Ralston did not lose his temper, however, but tried to turn the subject with a laugh. "'My dear cousin Emma,' he said, "'I'm the most hopeless case living. Please talk about somebody who is successful. There are lots of them. You've mentioned Bright already. Let us praise him. That will make you feel better.' To this Mrs. Lauderdale said nothing. After waiting a moment, Ralston turned to Catherine. "'Are you going out this afternoon?' he asked, by a way of hinting that he wanted to see her alone. "'No,' said Mrs. Lauderdale, answering for her. "'She says she means to stay at home and take care of me.' "'It's ever so good of her, isn't it?' "'Yes,' answered Ralston, absently. It struck Catherine that, considering that her mother had been trying for half an hour to persuade her to go out, it would have been natural to propose that she should go for a short walk with John, and that the answer had come rather suddenly. "'But you can't stay at home all day,' said Ralston, all at once. "'You'll be having a headache yourself. Won't you let Catherine come with me for half an hour, Cousin Emma? We'll walk twice round Washington Square and come right back. She looks pale.' "'Does she?' Mrs. Lauderdale glanced at the girl's face. "'I don't think so,' she continued. "'Besides—' "'What is it?' asked Ralston, as she hesitated and stopped. "'Isn't it proper?' "'We've often done it.' Mrs. Lauderdale rose from her chair and stood up, tall and slim, with her back to the mantelpiece. The light fell upon her face now, and Ralston saw how tired and worn she looked. Immediately she turned her back to the window again, and looked at him sideways, resting her elbow on the shelf. "'What is the use of you two going on in this way?' she asked suddenly. There was an awkward silence, and again Catherine and Ralston looked at one another. They were momentarily surprised out of speech, for Mrs. Lauderdale had always taken their side, if not very actively, at least in a kindly way. She had said that Catherine should marry the man she loved, rich or poor, and that if she chose to wait for a poor man like Ralston, to be able to support her, that was her own affair. The violent opposition had come from Catherine's father, when, a year previously, the two had boldly told him that they loved each other, and wished to be married. Alexander Jr. did not often lose his temper, but he had lost it completely on that occasion, and had gone so far as to say that Ralston should never enter the house again, a verdict which he had been soon forced to modify. But he had said that he considered John an idle good-for-nothing, who would never be able to support himself, let alone a wife and children, that his, Alexander's daughter, should never marry a professional dandy, who was content to let his widowed mother pay his extravagant tailor's bill, and who played poker at the clubs as a source of income. That was not enough of a recommendation to be half a Lauderdale, and to skim the cream from New York society in the form of daily invitations, and to have the reputation of being a good polo player with other people's horses, a good yachtsman with other people's yachts, and of having a strong head for other people's wines. Those were not the noble qualities Alexander Jr. looked for in a son-in-law. Not at all, sir. He preferred Benjamin Slayback of Nevada. The Lauderdales were quite able to make society accept Benjamin Slayback of Nevada, because Benjamin Slayback of Nevada was quite able to stand upon his own feet, 
anywhere, having worked for all he had, like a man, and having pushed himself into the forefront of political life by sheer energy and ability, and having as good a right and as good a chance in every way as any man in the country. No, he was certainly not a Lauderdale. If Lauderdales were to go on marrying Lauderdales and no one else, there would soon be an end of society. He advised John Ralston to go to Nevada and marry Benjamin Slayback's sister, if she would look at him, which was more than doubtful, considering that he was the most atrociously idle young ne'er-do-well. Here Alexander's Scotch upper lip snapped like a steel trap that ever wasted the most precious years of life between the society of infatuated women by day, sir, and the temptations of the card-table and the bottle by night. The favourite of fine ladies, the boon companion of roisterers, and the sport of a London tailor. Which was a tremendous speech when delivered at close quarters, in Alexander Junior's metallic voice, and in his most irately emphatic manner, while the grey veins swelled at his grey temples, and one iron hand was clenched ready to strike the palm of the other, when the end of the peroration was reached. He allowed himself, as a relation, even more latitude in his language than he would have arrogated to himself as Catherine's father. He met John Ralston not only as the angry stage father meets the ineligible and determined young suitor, but as one Lauderdale meeting another, the one knowing himself to be irreproachable, upbraiding the other as the disgrace of the family, the hardened young sinner and the sport of his tailor. That last expression had almost brought a smile to Ralston's angry face. He had behaved admirably, however, under such very trying circumstances, and afterwards secretly took great credit to himself for not having attacked him whom he wished for a father-in-law with the furniture of the latter's own library, the chairs being the only convenient weapons in the room. Alexander the Safe, as his own daughter called him, could probably have killed John Ralston with one backhander, but John would have liked to try him in fight, nevertheless. Instead of doing anything of the kind, however, John drew back two steps, and said as much as he could trust himself to say, without foaming at the mouth and seeing things in scarlet. He said that he did not agree with his cousin Alexander upon all the points the latter had mentioned, that he did not care to prolong a violent scene, and he wished him good morning. Thereupon he had left the house, which was quite the wisest thing he could do, for when Alexander was alone, he found, to his extreme annoyance, that he had a distinct sensation of having been made almost ridiculous. But he soon recovered from that, for whatever the secret mainspring of his singular character might be, it was certainly not idle vanity. Mrs. Lauderdale had consoled Catherine, and Ralston too, for that matter, as well as she could, and with sincere sympathy. Ralston continued to come to the house very much as he pleased, and Mr. Lauderdale silently tolerated his presence on the rare occasions of their meeting. He had certainly said more than enough to explain his point of view, and he considered the matter as settled. It was really not possible to keep a man who was his cousin altogether away, and he suffered also from a delusion common to many fathers, which led him to think that no one would ever dare to act against his once clearly expressed wishes. Between Catherine and her mother and Ralston there remained a sort of tacit understanding. There was no formal engagement, of course, which would have had to be concealed from Mr. Lauderdale, but Mrs. Lauderdale meant that the two young people should be married if they continued to love one another, and she generally left them as much together as they pleased when Ralston came. 
It was, therefore, not strange that they should both be surprised by the nature of her sudden question, as she stood by the fireplace looking sideways at Ralston, with her back to the light. "'What is the use?' asked Catherine, repeating the words in astonishment and emphasising the last one. "'Yes, what is the use? It is leading to nothing. You can never be married, and you know it by this time. You had much better separate at once. It will be easier for you now, perhaps, than by and by. You are both so young.' "'Excuse me, Cousin Emma,' said Ralston, "'but I think you must be dreaming.' He spoke very quietly, but the light was beginning to gleam in his eyes. His mother was said to have a very bad temper, and John was like her in many respects. But Mrs. Lauderdale continued to speak quite calmly. "'I have been thinking about you two a great deal lately,' she said. "'I have made a mistake, and I may as well say so at once, now that I have discovered it. "'You wouldn't like me to go on letting you think that I approved of your engagement when I don't, would you? "'That wouldn't be fair or honest.' "'Certainly not,' answered Ralston, in a low voice, and he could feel all the muscles tightening, as though for a physical effort. "'Have you said this sort of thing to Catherine before, or is this the first time?' "'No, she hasn't said a word,' replied Catherine herself. "'The girl was standing by the easy-chair, her hand resting on the back of it, "'her pale face, her great grey eyes staring wide open at her mother's profile. "'No, I have not,' said Mrs. Lauderdale. "'I thought it best to wait until I could speak to you together. "'It's useless to give pain twice over.' "'It is indeed,' said Ralston gravely. "'Please go on.' "'Why, there is nothing more to be said, Jack,' answered Mrs. Lauderdale. "'That's all. The trouble is that you'll never do anything, "'and you have no fortune, nor any prospect of any, "'until your mother—' "'Please don't speak of my mother in that connection,' "'interrupted Ralston, his lips growing white. "'Well, and as for us, we're as poor as can be. "'You see how we live. "'Besides, you know, old Mr. Lauderdale gets Uncle Robert "'to subscribe thousands and thousands for the idiots, "'but he never suggests that they are far better off than we are.' However, those are our miseries, and not yours. Yours is that you are perfectly useless. Mother! cried Catherine, losing control of herself and moving a step forward. It's all right, dear, said Ralston. Go on, cousin Emma. I'm perfectly useless. I don't mean to offend you, Jack, and we're not strangers, continued Mrs. Lauderdale, and I won't dwell on the facts. You know them as well as I do, and are probably quite as sorry that they really are facts. I will only ask one question— what chance is there that in the next four or five years you can have a house of your own and an income of your own, just enough for two people to live on and no more, and, well, a home for Catherine? What chance is there? I'll do something before that time, answered Ralston with a determined look. But Mrs. Lauderdale shook her head. So you said last year, Jack. I repeat, I don't want to be unkind. How long is Catherine to wait? "'I'll wait all my life, mother,' said the young girl, suddenly speaking out in ringing tones. "'I'll wait till I die, if I must, and Jack knows it, and I believe in him, if you don't. Against you all, you and Papa and Uncle Robert and everyone. Jack has never had a chance that deserves to be called a chance at all. He must succeed. He shall succeed. I know he'll succeed. And I'll wait till he does. I will!' I will, if it's for ever, and I shan't be tired of waiting. It will always be easy for him. Oh, mother, mother, to think that you should have turned against us. That's the hard thing. Thank you, dear, said Ralston, touching her hand lovingly. Mrs. Lauderdale had turned her face quite away from him now, and was looking at the clock. 
softly drumming with her fingers upon the mantelpiece. "'I'm sorry, Catherine,' she said, "'but I think it, and I've said it, and I can't unsay it. "'It's far too true.' There was a dead silence for several seconds. Then Catherine suddenly pushed Rolson gently towards the door. "'Go, Jack, dear,' she said in a low voice. "'She has a dreadful headache. She's not herself. "'Your being here irritates her. Please go away. "'It will be all right in a day or two. They had reached the door, for Ralston saw that she was right. "'No,' said Mrs. Lauderdale from the fireplace. "'I shan't change my mind.' It was all so sudden and strange that Ralston found himself outside the library without having taken leave of her in any way. Catherine came out with him. "'There's a difficulty,' he whispered quickly, as he found his coat and stick. "'After it's done, there has to be a certificate saying that Catherine, come here!' cried Mrs. Lauderdale from within and they heard her footstep as she left the fireplace. "'Come to-morrow morning at eleven, whispered Catherine. She barely touched his hand with hers, and fled back into the library. He let himself out and walked away slowly along Clinton Place, in the direction of Fifth Avenue. End of chapter 7